So right now I want to invite Dan up. Dan is our, one of our associate pastors, and Dan is uh, one, of those, one of those people that's just, he's just a rock. <laughs> um, you know, whatever, I, I've known Dan for, for several years now, and as, we've, as we have transitioned in this last uh, year and a half, he's taken on more and more and more and ha- has done so with, with a heart of, of service and compassion and, and just wanting to, to see this vision that we've just been discussing actually come to pass. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just really grateful for him. He has an awesome message as we close out um, kind of this, this part of the season. And uh, I'm just really grateful. Um, before he starts, though, where's my, uh, is it up here? Up right here. Ah, yes, in my pocket. All right. So uh, starting next week uh, is Advent. And so it's kind of one of those seasons of the church that we also participate in. And so uh, in, in this Advent season, it's going to be four weeks. It's called The Invitation. And we're going to be looking at kind of the four uh, phases of Advent, hope, love, joy, and peace, and the invitation that God is calling us to in that and what he wants for us uh, in this season, but as we also get ready to launch into the next year. And so I want to encourage you to come to this series, but also you have this in your communicator, um, and it's also available online. Also, you know, and invite someone especially someone you know is like, hey, they could really use kind of a season of peace <laughs> or a season of hope or a season of joy. Um, that's, that's what this, this, these next four weeks is, a season of encouragement for our entire community. And so if there's someone you know that could really use that, I, I want to encourage you to invite them you know, over these next four weeks. All right, Dan. Well, thanks. One more thing. Yeah. I mean, you can sit, but can sit? Uh, yeah, I'll allow it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I learned this week that around the holidays, 75% of people say yes to invitations to church if it's from a friend or a family member. So keep that in mind. Like, I know it's a little bit risky it's, um, to ask somebody about church for, for some of us. And 75% of people say yes. Like, they're interested in Jesus around this time. Something happens. Um, this could be the time where they, like, get to know Jesus for real. So keep that in mind as you think about inviting people. Um, well, hey, happy Friendsgiving. I uh, love Friendsgiving, and I love Thanksgiving. I don't know if it's because um, the way I grew up, like Thanksgiving was one of my favorite holidays. It was the, we would uh, drive from normal Illinois, my hometown. You guys can laugh and make jokes. I've heard them all. You, haven't, you can't tell me an original one, I don't think, anymore. Um, and we would drive from normal Illinois two hours up to Chicago and spend uh, Thanksgiving with my extended family. It was the only time I got to see them during the year. And so it's just a special time for me. So I've always loved Thanksgiving. It's always been um, fun for me. But I also love it because it hasn't been overly commercialized yet. Like it's, sure, Christmas is encroaching, right? Like Black Friday has moved up to Thanksgiving Day. Anybody going shopping on Thanksgiving? It's okay if you are. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's great. Um, so, you know, like, it's not overly commercialized yet. I haven't seen any uh, car commercials where you're supposed to buy a Thanksgiving car, or I haven't seen a Zales commercial where you're supposed to buy your wife a nice cornucopia diamond pendant, right? That's, that's not a thing yet, and I hope it never becomes that. I think of Thanksgiving as the anti-consumerist holiday, isn't it? It's about being thankful for what we have, about being thankful for what we've been blessed with, it's not looking to the future for things we can get or that we think that we need. It's just about looking at what we have and what we've been given and having an attitude of thankfulness for it. 
If you were to ask me uh, two weeks ago, hey Dan, what are the major themes of the Bible? I would have, I would have told you things like grace, love, hope, kingdom of God, forgiveness, restoration. I would have told you those things and that's totally true. But what I've learned over the last couple of weeks is like thankfulness is right up there. When you type in, uh, if you just go to a concordance or Google and type in thankfulness Bible, like there's 131 verses that just have the word thanks in it. Beyond that, there's plenty of stories about that. There's plenty of their words that aren't thanks. So it's a major thing. Thankfulness is really important to God. He really does care about it. Um, some of my favorite verses that uh, I found in doing this is, here, I'll put them up on the screen for you. Psalm 9.1, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and pre- petition, with thankfulness, present your request to God. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's a great one. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalms does that a lot where it like starts with a thanks and then switches to praise and then goes back to thanks and then goes back to, pray, back to praise. And I love that. And uh, the difference between thanks and praise to get that out of the way real quick, thanks is something that uh, God has done for us. He's done something for us, and we thank him for that. Praise is glorifying him for who he is, his divine attributes. So there's a difference between thanks and praise. We can't interchange them there. And Psalms just goes back and forth, back and forth. You open up Psalms right now, and you'll see a thanks and praise verse, I bet. Um, It's pretty cool. You can uh, read some of those. But all these verses are awesome. Oh, I forgot one. All of this is for your benefit, and as God reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. God receives glory when we thank him. God is magnified in our thanks. And all those verses are awesome. I love them. And they're kind of like the honorable mentions for today. I I love those verses. They teach us a lot. Um, But I want to share with you a story because I love stories. I love diving into stories. I love stories that Jesus are in especially, and I I love how he interacts with people. So I want to share with you today about a woman that kind of overcomes her self-doubt. She she ignores all these social things that she's supposed to do just so she can thank and bless Jesus. And that's what that's what we're in today. So if you want to turn to Luke 7:36 with me, if you've got a Bible, if you can if you can pull it up on your device, that's awesome, and I'll have it up on the screen here. So Luke 7:36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, and we find out later that this Pharisee's name is Simon. So we can call him Simon. This Pharisee asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. She then kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Wow, that's an interesting scene, right? Have you guys ever experienced that before? No? Okay. That's pretty, that's pretty normal then. Um, so for us, it's really weird. And Jesus, uh, what, what we should know is that he's a well-known teacher. So here's what's happening. Simon 
is a Pharisee. He's like a religious leader, and um, he invites Jesus over to his house for dinner, and Jesus accepts. And it's a pretty innocent invitation. He he uh, doesn't know. I don't think he knows too much about Jesus yet. It's kind of like if a new coworker came to work and you invited them over for dinner. You're like, you're not skeptical. You think you might be friends, um, but you don't know if you're going to be best friends yet. You know, you're you're just a you don't know them too well yet. And so Jesus accepts the invitation. They sit down to dinner, and seemingly out of nowhere, like this woman starts crying all over Jesus's feet. Now, it wasn't completely absurd that this happened. It wasn't normal by any, chance, by any means, but it wasn't absurd either because it was normal for people to kind of mill around um, a dinner like this, like uninvited guests to kind of like be on the outskirts, maybe in the courtyard of the house, just to hear what was happening because they didn't have TED Talks back then. So these two people, important people, a Pharisee, a religious leader, and Jesus are probably discussing some pretty important and interesting things to people. And so it's okay for people to, like, hang out in the courtyard and kind of eavesdrop. That's socially acceptable. Can you imagine if that happened today? Like, you had some people over for dinner and your neighbors came over and were like, ooh, what's going on over here? That'd be really weird, but totally normal back then. It's also normal for people, uh, poorer people, to come in after the dinner and ask for the leftovers. Um, so they would, they would come in and be like, hey, can we have your leftovers? And it was... It was totally uh, normal for the people to say, sure, have our leftovers. We're not going to eat them. It was as a noble thing to give to the poor like that. Um, so it was socially acceptable for, for stuff like that to happen. What wasn't acceptable was for this woman to come into where they were eating and cry all over Jesus' feet. And not only was it not appropriate because she wasn't invited, but she was also an immoral woman. Um, probably a prostitute. And she, before she could even enter a room like that or be near these religious men, these holy guys, um, she would have to offer a host of sacrifices, clean herself up. Um, complete, it completely was not okay on a social standpoint because she wasn't invited and also um, kind of on a religious standpoint where she wasn't supposed to be near these people as an unclean person. So Simon, he's a Pharisee. He's pretty much a pastor of his day. Um, he studied the scriptures a lot. He uh, spoke at temple once in a while, and um, he was really looked up to in his society. He was a good religious leader. He probably raised his kids well and gave to the poor. He was probably a good guy. Most Pharisees um, did these religious acts so that they could be good people. But it kind of seems that he was blinded by his quest for morality and piety. That he didn't see like the things of God happening right in front of him. Because right after that happens, she cries on his feet and, and wipes up the tears off of Jesus' feet, pours perfume on him. And it says uh, in verse 39, 739, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner! That's crazy. Like, he, he is just completely unokay with this. She is a sinner. She shouldn't be in the same room with Jesus. And before, um, oh, and then uh, Jesus says, he answers his thoughts, and he says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Now, before you think, whoa, Jesus was a mind reader. Awesome. I didn't know that was one of his miracles. Jesus, he, sure, he could have. 
But he probably didn't have to read minds here. The, the awkwardness in the room was palpable. Like if this happened, it would be just as awkward if someone did this to you uh, during your dinner party. It was just like weird. It, it, you just don't come into a dinner party like this and do that. And so Simon says, go ahead, teacher. I'll listen to you. So Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt. Not a hard thing to answer. One thing to note here that when it uh, says love, Jesus' language and Simon's language that they spoke was Aramaic. And there's no word for thanks in Aramaic. So they say love. And I'm not saying we, we replace the word love here with thanks, but we can think love and thank, love and gratitude, because um, when you think about these debtors, I'll switch the slide for you. <clears throat> when you think about these debtors, they're not loving the guy who forgave their debt like they love their mom or their wife or their kids. Um, it's, a, it's a gratitude sort of love, right? Um, and so we have this idea of being grateful in love to this person. Uh, Liz and I, before we had kids, we just had one car. Um, and it was a good car. There was nothing wrong with it, except that about one out of ten times, it wouldn't start. And not only would it not start, there's nothing wrong with it exactly, but it wouldn't start um, because it thought that you were trying to steal it. And so it would lock itself down for 15 minutes. So you would stick the key in, and you never knew when it was going to happen. Completely random. Stick the key in, turn it, and you don't get anything. No battery, no click, nothing. You're like, oh, the security thing. So then you sit there, find something to do for 15 minutes, and we just kind of dealt with it. Um, it wasn't a big deal. But then we got pregnant, and we are like, okay, Louisiana heat, 95 degrees, uh, no AC in a car. We can't just wait around for 15 minutes. We're going to have to get a new car. So... Um, we were looking at getting a new car, <clears throat> um, and we couldn't fix the thing. It was uh, way more than the car was worth, so we just didn't want to do it. Um, so we were looking at a new car, and um, and we were about to. We had most of the money we needed. We were about to take out a loan for the rest of the money. It was just a couple thousand dollars, and um, but then our family found out that we were going to take out a loan. So they said, "Hey, don't take out a loan. We will loan you the money." Um, and then you can pay us back just like you would on in a monthly payment plan with a loan. I was like, sweet, no interest loan. That is awesome. I will take it. That's great. So we paid that, and we paid that for month after month, like nine months. Nine months go by, and then we get a letter in the mail from those family members that say your debt is forgiven. And we're like, what? Like, we were supposed to pay this for like another year, year and a half. So we were so excited. It was just this huge weight of this payment that was completely gone. And for me, this is kind of like, this is the lesser debt, the 50 pieces of silver. So uh, today's money, 500 pieces of silver, um, uh, was um, about $80,000, and the 50 was about $8,000. So I can't even relate to this, this huge debt. And it says that they can't even pay it off. They can't pay it off. You know that that's like an extra weight on you that um, I knew that I could pay it off in the next year and a half or two years. But these guys couldn't even pay it off. And so um, I think about the weight that they must have had, and then they were completely forgiven for that debt. 
Can you imagine if, like, your student loans got wiped out? Like, right after you graduate, your student loans are just gone. Or maybe the rest of your house payment gone. Like, that kind of weight would be so great. So, of course, Simon, he gets the right answer when Jesus asks him, who will love him more? Who's going to show more gratitude? It's the guy who's been forgiven more. So Jesus responds to him, and he says, that's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at the woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. All these things that Jesus lists here are pretty foreign to us, but it's a pretty normal thing to do back then is if you were having a dinner party and guests came over to your house. You do all those things. Um, you have a servant wash your guests' feet. Um, you would greet them with a kiss, just like we would with a handshake. But Simon doesn't do all that. Let's pretend I invite you over for dinner. Um, and you come to my door, you knock, knock, knock. And I say, come in! You come in the door, and I'm just like sitting on the couch in my sweatpants watching a football game. And you'd be like, uh, are we here on the wrong night? Like, what's going on? Completely rude, right? And I just say, all right, food's over there. Go get it. You know, like, that's not at all what's supposed to happen if I invite you over for dinner. I should get up. I should give you a handshake, maybe a hug, invite you in, um, show you around the house, show you what food I made for you. You know, that's like the customary thing to do. And uh, Simon here didn't do any of that kind of custom customary thing. So it's so rude. But that's not Jesus' main point here. He's not necessarily trying to call Simon out on being a bad host, but more that this woman is just being forgiven much, and her reaction, her actions to Jesus, are her gratitude overflowing onto Jesus. I think about this woman coming to Jesus. I think about her backstory. She's probably a prostitute. Um, she's probably heard Jesus before. Um, she like just didn't show up at the house and do this. She's probably heard him speak uh, the Beatitudes were in the same area and just a chapter before. I wonder if she heard the Beatitudes from Jesus. I wonder um, if she heard like uh, that the that the poor are going to get the kingdom of God and that um, the sick are going to be healed. Um, And I think she was all those things. Like, she was poor. She was condemned by people. Like, the condemned were going to be set free, Jesus said, which is a huge deal. And I, and I know that in that time, people would condemn her all the time, just walking by the street, just those looks of judgment. Like, what are you doing with your life? Um, she probably heard insults like, you're disgusting. You're a wasted life. God hates you. You're gross. You should be ashamed of yourself. Her self-worth, I'm sure, was dangerously low. But here's Jesus telling her that she has value, that her sins can be completely wiped out, that God doesn't look at her the same way that people do. And no matter what she has done or does, she's offered forgiveness and a new life with Jesus. And I'm willing to bet that this is one of the first times in a very, very long time that this woman has heard any sort of hope from anyone. So imagine she gets back from hearing wherever she heard Jesus' message, and she's like, I've got to do something. I've got to honor Jesus in some way. I've got to bless him. So she, 
uh, hears that Simon's having a dinner party. She decides, hey, I'm going to be one of those people that hang out in the courtyard and listen to Jesus. Um, I want to hear him talk. She thinks, oh, I'll take my perfume down there, probably perfume that was used for prostitution um, before, and she's going to just totally lather, lather it for Jesus. Um, she goes down there. I don't know if she like just busts in the door and is like, Jesus, you know, or if she kind of mills around in the courtyard to get up the courage. But either way, she goes in there. She goes to Jesus, and in those times, they're reclining when they eat. So like, I won't recline on the stage, but you know, like his feet are back here, and she goes behind him and is about to put perfume on his feet, but she's overcome with emotion, and she just weeps. Tears are everywhere, falling on Jesus' feet. She's like, oh no, what do I do? So she lets down her hair and wipes the tears off of her feet and then adds perfume and she's overcome with emotion. I don't think that crying part was planned on her part. It was just like, here's Jesus who's offering me hope and a new life and I'm going to take it. So Jesus, um, he continues talking to Simon. And he says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, and this is the first time he talks to the woman, he says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table, the other party guests, they said, who is this guy that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So she's completely forgiven. Her past wrongdoings are wiped out. The weight and shame she carries for so long are gone with the forgiveness she's gotten from Jesus. It matters not the depth of sin, the amount of sin. In fact, Jesus says, he says, uh, I tell you her sins and they are many. As if I kind of take this as like, why did you have to say that part, Jesus? I wonder if like he's saying, I'm Jesus. I know the depths of who you are. You're not hiding anything from me. I know who you are, and I love you the same, and everything is wiped out. I've forgiven everything that you've done wrong. He knows the depths of our sins, and he loves us the same. There's three main characters in this story. We've got Jesus, of course. We've got the woman, and then there's Simon. And I'll get back to him in a second, but first let me tell you a story. Um, when I was in high school, uh, we, it was around Christmas time. My family has lots of rules about Christmas. I don't know why. When Liz came to our family, uh, when like we started dating college, she came to Christmas and she's like, Dan, why are there so many rules in your family about Christmas? One of these rules, and I've come to appreciate it, is that only one person at a time gets to open presents. Do you guys have that rule? Anybody else have? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Um, so, it was my dad's, this was in high school, my dad, um, it was his turn to open a present, and it was something totally boring, like socks or a tie or something like that, and he's opening it up, and he's like, oh, wow, this is amazing, I can't believe it, thank you so much, he was so excited for whatever these socks were, it was hilarious, and of course he was going over the top, um, he didn't uh, it wasn't sarcasm, though. Like, he really meant it. And that moment has always stuck with me, and I wonder now what it would be like to be thankful for those little things. Like, what if every little gift we got from God or people, we tried to find that extreme gratitude? And taking it a step further, what if we were thankful even in the hard things? 
My uh, daughter, a couple weeks ago, I put cubed ice in her cup instead of crushed ice in her cup, and she just lost it. Fit on the floor, like, I don't know if you guys have five-year-olds, but just, I was like, come on, man. Like, if you would ask me nicely, I would just refill it for you. So as I'm walking her to her room for some calm down time, I'm thinking like, why, why is this happening? And I wonder like what it would be like to be thankful in that moment. Instead of just thinking negative things, what would it be like to be thankful even in that, that hard time where I'm just like complaining? What would it be like to be thankful for my daughter? To be thankful for that she has a room that I can put her in to cry in. Um, there's, there's a woman this week that came in the church. Uh, she, I was preparing this sermon and she, about right here in this section of the sermon too. Um, and she came in. She said, hey, I want prayer for my knees. They're, they're really hurting. Um, I just want them to be healed. And I said, absolutely, let's pray. So we sat down. I spent a couple minutes praying for her knees. They're not healed yet, um, but we're hoping for that. And then she took some time to pray, and she spent one line asking God to heal her knees. The rest of her, like, three-minute prayer was just thanks. Thanks for this. Thanks for that. She thanked God for our church. She thanked God for her current health. She thanked God for past healings that she's experienced. And I was like, man, this is exactly what I'm trying to write about. Like, this, this is it. She's, she's got tremendous knee pain, and here she is just thankful to God for all these things. Thing after thing, she's thankful for. And back to Simon, I think that, that attitude or lifestyle of thankfulness is what Jesus is offering to Simon. You notice that um, this story is about the woman being forgiven a tremendous debt. That's true. This, this story is about Jesus forgiving all sins, no matter what. His love conquers all of that, yes. And I think Jesus is also trying to teach Simon. Because it's not until this last, this last little bit where he actually talks to the woman, the rest of Jesus talking is straight to Simon. And I think we forget about Simon sometimes that um, he's just the villain of the story. But I think Jesus is trying to get a hold of Simon's heart, too. He's trying to teach him something. He's offering Simon a way out of his current judgmental attitude. He's offering him a way out of his performance-based religion. In the same way that he's given the woman freedom through forgiveness of sins, he offers Simon forgiveness and a new way to live and love others. He's offering him a new life. Because of this woman, Jesus is able to teach Simon about compassion, love, forgiveness, grace. And when you receive those things, this woman gives us an example of how to be grateful. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to get into Simon's head. This woman who's been forgiven and given value by Jesus returns to him with overflowing thankfulness. Her actions are full of love and gratitude towards Jesus. Do you notice she doesn't even say anything? This whole story, we don't have an account of anything that she says. Her actions are speaking for her. And so Jesus uses this moment to teach Simon. She's setting an example for Simon. And Jesus is saying, look, look at what it means to be thankful. Look at what it means to be forgiven. Look at what it means to have overflowing love and gratitude like this sinner who you call a sinner. And so I think the question for us is then, what does it look like for us? What does it look like for you to have that overflowing thankfulness 
to Jesus, for his forgiveness, for his grace, for his compassion. The first step there is to receive his forgiveness and his compassion and grace. If you haven't done that yet, do it. We all need forgiveness. The Bible tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we need his forgiveness. So if you haven't done that yet, uh, this woman experiences freedom and grace. The shame is completely gone and she's free in Jesus. We can experience that too. Many of us in this church have. And maybe you've done that. Maybe you've uh, received his forgiveness. Maybe it was a year ago or five years ago, 20 years ago, maybe 50 years ago. And you've gotten in a place of entitlement for his grace and forgiveness. I have, 100%. I've gotten in that place. And I've forgotten to thank God. I've neglected to thank him for what he's done for me. So what does it look like for me to have a continual attitude of thankfulness and gratitude for what Jesus has done? Like I never let a day go by where I've forgotten that my sins are forgiven that I've received grace and compassion. And not only that, then I'm supposed to take those things and then pass them on to others. It's easy for me to become entitled. It's easy for me to skip Thanksgiving and go straight into Christmas. What am I getting? Right? But we can't do that. We've got to stay in Thanksgiving year-round saying, God, I'm thankful for what you've done for me. And stay in that attitude of thankfulness. I've got a couple practical tips for you to practice this. And these, these are just like a starting point, something real simple that you can do. At Friendsgiving, A, go. Come on, come celebrate Friendsgiving with us. Even if you didn't plan to, stick around. It's going to be great. Um, and as you're sitting next to somebody today, ask them what they're thankful for. They're probably going to ask you the same. Um, and you don't have to go super deep. You can if you want. Um, I'm thankful for the LSU Tigers. It's so fun right now. It's so fun to watch them. I love living in Baton Rouge right now. So good. Um, I've only been here five years, and I, I have great respect for you that have been here for like 50 years, and you've been like celebrating all this time. Anyway, thankful for that. I'm thankful that I get to be here during this season. It's really cool. Um, and then as you do that, do that at home or at work or at school or with your family. Ask what people are thankful for. It's like a perfect week to do it. No one's going to look at you funny. Um, My second tip for you is set a continuous reminder on your phone to be thankful. Check this out. Hey, Google, remind me to be thankful every day at 1 p.m. It set a reminder for me. So when this pops up, um, it'll just remind me to be thankful. Like, what what can I praise God for in that moment? If I'm driving in my car, I can thank God for my car. Um, Maybe it pings and I'm walking my daughter to her room, you know? Like, maybe you'll remind me to be thankful then. So even in those hard times, if it hits you and something hard's happening, try to be thankful. Choose gratitude. Um, And then this last one is to read verses about thankfulness this week. Just do a Google search. There's over 130 at least. I bet there's way more than that about thankfulness. You can write them down, put them on sticky notes, stick them on a mirror, put them in your car, Text them to a friend. Do something active with these verses. Just don't read them. This is the perfect time to like send it to a friend um, about being thankful. Thankfulness is really important to God. He wants us to do it all the time. I think we all know like that person who's really grateful all the time, and there's like 
pretty cool people. That's a natural gift. Others of us, we have to practice it to be good at it. And so let's do that. Let's be like the woman and come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, we are thankful for you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. Um, let's be those people. We're going to move into our time of, um, of communion. And we've got three communion stations. We've got two in the front here underneath the projectors and then one in the back at the cross. Um, will you guys stand with me? And this communion, this is like a, this is a way to be thankful. I'm sure tons of you in here come up to the communion station and thank God for what he's done. Um, it's just a natural reaction. It's what we do. We remember that Christ died on the cross for our sins and has forgiven us. And we, and we remember it by doing communion. So communion is a way to be thankful. Great job. You're already going to do it. And here's why we do it. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, we are so thankful that you've reached out to us, that you're a God that cares about us, and that you've paid the ultimate price so that we could be together. Starting now, starting today, we thank you for that. You're an awesome God. We love you. Amen. We're going to sing two songs, and during those two songs, you can come up at any time and get communion.